Merry Christmas, Mosaic. Well, if this is your first time here, my name's Adam. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here. And I want you to know something before I start here. I think uh, you're here for a reason. And uh, I just don't believe in chance. I don't believe in coincidence. Uh, I think God has a purpose for you being here tonight. And I even mean that if you totally did not want to come. If your wife drug you here or bribed you to get here, you know what I'm saying? Or you didn't think it was worth the fight because you didn't want to pay for whatever the consequence would be if you're not coming, so you just decided to come anyways. You. And if your parents made you come or if your friend bribed you or tricked you into coming, uh, I especially believe uh, that you are right where God wants you tonight. And even if you did want to come and you've been going to this church for years, uh, I believe God has a purpose for you being here tonight. So uh, I'm a church kid. Grew up in church, uh, born and raised in it, so I've done my fair share of Christmas services, uh, more than my fair share of Christmas services, and I have a confession to make, and some of you won't be surprised by this, but growing up, I was not a fan of Christmas services. I wasn't, and some of you think it's because I'm a Grinch, and that's only part of the reason. Um, <clears throat> two more parts to it. Uh, first... Um, I just wanted to get to Christmas. You know, growing up, you just want to get to Christmas. You, that's, that's the whole point. So like this was an inconvenient obligation before I got to the main event. So it just kind of, I felt like Christmas services always slowed time down and I wanted to speed up and get to Christmas. So it was just, just kind of in the way. And then secondly, I already knew the story. You know what I'm saying? Like I heard it every year, Mary, Joseph, Jesus, swaddling clothes, manger, star, wise men, shepherds, angels. I know, I know, I know. Like I hear it every single year. And then I grow up and God makes me a pastor. And <laughs> I don't have to listen to a Christmas message every year. I have to give one. And uh, that makes it really difficult. So if any young men are sitting here going, when is this guy going to shut up? God might make you a pastor someday. I just want you to know that because that's what he did to me. Um, so what I want to do is something a little different tonight. I imagine at some point you will think, what is he doing? Um, that's my goal. So if you're there, that's good. Uh, it's a good thing. Uh, but we want to start in a familiar place. We want to start in a familiar place. Luke 2, 7. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So there it is, right? Like much of the Christmas story wrapped up in one verse. Uh, so if I say the sentence that this verse contains like the most important thing to ever happen in like the history of the world, you might look at it and go, really? Because you need context, right? You need context for the verse to understand why that might be true. And this is really, I mean, if you, if you look at the verse, it's like, I don't know, like poor kid born in a barn 2,000 years ago? Like, how could that be the most important thing that has ever happened? Like, how does it even matter at all? You need context. You need context, right? And this is true of anything awesome. Anything awesome. Have you ever tried to explain something, like how awesome something was to somebody who didn't have the context for the awesome thing, and they kind of shrug their shoulders at you? Like, what are you... What? Like, they didn't get it, right? You see this all the time with people who are big fans of TV shows. Like, uh, it's usually like Stranger Things or uh, Doctor Who or Walking Dead people. Like, they're always trying to tell you how awesome their show is. Like, did you see that last night? Rick did this and the walkers did this. And you're like, I don't know who Rick is and I don't know what a walker is and I don't care, right? You kind of shrug your shoulders at them if, if you don't have context for what they say is awesome. Uh, if you're a sports fan and you try to tell somebody, like, LeBron is so good and he gets these triple doubles and they're like, I don't even know what a triple double is. Like, is that a cheeseburger? Like, I don't know what you're talking about. 
talking about, right? If they don't have context for the awesome thing, they're kind of going to shrug their shoulders at you. One more example. If somebody walked up to you and said, hey, I own 100 Bitcoin, and you don't have context for what a Bitcoin is, if you're sitting there going, that sounds like video game money, what are you going to do? Like, upgrade your town hall and Clash of Clans, buddy? Like, it kind of sounds like nerdy. But if you had context, I looked it up this morning, one Bitcoin is worth $13,000. Did you know that? Now, ask me what a Bitcoin is, I don't know, but it's worth $13,000. That's how much context I have. So if somebody has 100, they're doing all right. But you need context. You need context to understand how awesome something is. In order for you to look at this verse and go, wow, that is awesome. That is like the most important thing that has ever happened. In order for you to do that, you have to have context. So my goal tonight is to give you context, the context of Christmas. And hopefully, even if you don't do it out loud, for you to go, when you look at this verse, wow, that's awesome. So would you pray with me and then we'll dive into that. Lord Jesus, I thank you. Uh, for tonight. I thank you for every single person in this room uh, making time out of their busy schedules to be here, to slow down and to look up. I pray, Lord, for every person here, Lord, even those people that didn't want to come, I pray that you would do something, Lord, that they would know deep down in their soul that you had a reason for this. I pray that we would be open to that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, Have you ever thought of the difference between a microscope and a telescope. I know it's probably one of those things you lay up late at night thinking about. This is like the most nerdy nerdy way to start a sermon ever. You're like, really, dude? A microscope and a telescope? Like, hmm. Totally the nerdiest thing ever. Um, But it's actually an interesting thing. So I know my nerds are with me. But even if you're not a nerd, I feel like this is an interesting thing. Like a microscope, um, what they do is they make something that is small seem bigger. Right? That's what a microscope does. It makes something that is, that is really, really tiny, and it makes it seem bigger so you can see it. And some of the, some of the pictures of, of these microscopes, uh, they're amazing that they, that they capture. I don't know if you've seen some of the electron scanning microscopes. Uh, for example, this is uh, a thread going through the eye of a needle. Isn't that nuts? Kind of looks like hay in a spaceship or something. It's so crazy. This one, not boulders on the surface of Mars. That's salt and pepper. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? This one, not a demon from the pit of hell. Uh, That is a blue bottle fly larva. So if you ever get one of those on you, you want to get it off because that is gross. Now, I want to show you one more thing. And this is like spectacular. This thing is crazy. It is the smallest thing that any human has ever seen. Uh, We haven't had the technology to actually be able to see this thing uh, up until this point, but they worked really hard. And this thing is absolutely it. You are about to see like the smallest thing that any human has ever seen. You guys ready for this? So small, so crazy. Here it is. Is that not amazing? Aren't you? Technology is amazing, isn't it? Because you thought you would never see that. So microscopes make something that's small appear bigger. But a a telescope does the opposite, right? A telescope uh, takes something that actually is huge and helps us see how big it really is, right? Something that seems small and draws it closer so that it is actually closer to the size that it really is. So it kind of works the opposite. Take, for example, our sun. Uh, If you put your thumb up to the sun, if the sun would ever come out... um, 
you can cover the sun up with your thumb, right? You can just cover it up. And, and it just doesn't seem that big. Uh, it's because it's so far away, right? But it's huge. Um, so you all, hopefully you all, you all got a marble when you came in, right? Did you get your marble? Don't, you didn't lose it, did you? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not going to do the dad joke. Don't lose it. Don't lose it. Um, so get your marble out if you have it. Um, what I want to do is I want to, for a minute here, pretend that the marble is earth, okay? Can you pretend with me that your marble is earth? Can you look on there? And look how small this is. Can you find the United States on here? Um, can you find Ohio? Can you find Wadsworth? Can you see yourself? Can you see yourself on there? Can you get a, get a feel for what the globe would look like if it were this small? So if, if the earth were the size of your marble, the sun would be seven feet in diameter. Seven feet, about that. You're not impressed. Okay. Um, so you, you, if you hold your marble up and you can kind of see like, okay. And you might even think maybe I'm in the right place. Like, is this, is this where it orbits? Uh, you're way off. You'd have to go, if you're parked in the front, you gotta go out to your car. That's where uh, your marble earth would orbit this seven foot sun. If you're parked in the back parking lot, you gotta go way over to like the track behind the middle school. Like it's really far out there. And while you're walking by a minivan, just imagine a minivan full of these because that's about how many earths fit inside the sun. Like a minivan full of these marbles. Isn't that crazy? Now, you know, you know that the sun is like nowhere near the biggest star in the sky. So if you go like one level up, uh, you come to a star called Regal. Regal. And Regal is like the seventh brightest sun in the night, or seventh brightest star in the night sky. Um, so if you've ever looked up at the st- sky and thought, you know what, that's like the seventh brightest star. That's Regal. Uh, good, good observation. Um, <laughs> So if we had a telescope powerful enough to see Regal up close, it would probably look something like that. That's, not a, that's a, a representation of what it might look like because it's too far away. Um, and I wanted to give you a visual of what our sun looks like in front of Regal. So I put the sun in front of Regal in this next picture. Are you ready for it? Here it is. Did you see it? Here, take it away, put it back. See it? Take it away, put it back, take it away. It's still there. Take it away. There it is. There it is. See it? Okay, so that's small, right? Now, if the earth were the size of your marble, if the earth were the size of your marble, regal, remember, the sun is seven feet in diameter if the earth is the size of your marble. Regal would be the size of Quicken Loans Arena. Isn't that crazy? I feel like you're not impressed. So what you need to do, since you're not impressed, you need to get Cavs tickets for the next game, whatever game that might be. Uh, get, get <laughs> no, nothing, really? <laughs> Wow, I'm like the only one. Okay. It's Christmas Day. It's against the Warriors. Can you guys keep up, please? Um, and, and evidently, you know what you need to do? You need to get floor seats so you get the full experience. And you need to take your marble. You need to put it down on the floor like during a timeout, obviously. And you need to back up and look and see how big Regal is compared to your earth marble there, right? Okay, that's what you need to do. You need that full experience. Now, pick your marble up before the timeout's over because if you hurt LeBron kicked out of Ohio, I'm pretty sure. Done. So Regal is, is crazy big, even compared to our sun, right? But Regal is nowhere near the biggest star. The next like, level up you would go is to a star called Betelgeuse. Uh, and this is what Betelgeuse might look like uh, up close. Again, we don't have uh, powerful enough telescopes to see it that close. You could fit 900 of our suns across the diameter of Betelgeuse. 900. If Earth were the size of your marble, Betelgeuse would be 4,200 feet across. 
To give you an idea of how big that is, you'd have to leave the Cavs game and walk a couple of blocks north to the tallest uh, building in uh, Cleveland, Key Tower. Okay, you'd have to walk to this building and uh, go there, put your marble down on the sidewalk, back up, and then look up, and then you're going to have to use your imagination because it's not just the size of that building. You're going to have to put four more Key Towers on top of that Key Tower to get the size of how big Beetlegeese is compared to your earth marble. That's how huge that star is. Crazy, crazy big. But even Betelgeuse is not the biggest star we've found. The biggest star that scientists have found is called U.Y. Scuti. Would look something like that. If the Earth were the size of your marble, this star would be 1.5 miles wide. 1.5 miles. To be a police officer in Wadsworth, you have to be able to run 1.5 miles in about 12 minutes. Uh, so if the earth were the size of your marble, a decently in shape police officer would take 12 minutes to run from one side of the star to the other. Um, and if that's not impressive, um, you couldn't, if you wanted to, walk up to the screen right now and put a dot with a Sharpie small enough to approximate the size of our sun. You couldn't do it. it it's that small. You could not make a dot small enough. You can fit... 858 trillion Earths inside of Scooty. 858 trillion. That's enough marbles to cover the entire city of Cleveland two inches deep in marbles. So once you're done at Key Tower, just drive around and imagine marbles literally everywhere and you'll get at least a little bit of an idea of how big this star is. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, uh, what is this guy doing? Right? I told you, what is this guy doing? Like, this is a Christmas sermon. He's not, this is like he's talking about stars. He's not even talking about the Christmas star. Like, what is he doing? What is he doing? Um, context, right? I'm trying to give you context. I'm trying to give you context. I want to show you uh, one of the verses that I think is one of the coolest verses in the Bible. And hopefully, after what you just heard, you will also think this is one of the coolest verses in the Bible. It's Psalm 33, 6. The heavens were made by the word of the Lord, and all the stars were made by the breath of his mouth by the breath of his mouth. God is so big that he breathes out stars. He breathes out stars. Regal, Beetlegeese, Scooty, our son, he just breathes them out. That, that, listen, this is so important. This is, somebody dropped their earth. Listen, <laughs> let's give it a minute here. It's all right. There's more. God can just and create a star that's big enough to fit 858 trillion Earths inside. So listen, this is so important. This is why Christmas is amazing. This is why you shouldn't shrug your shoulders at Luke 2, 7. Because the God who breathed out this, 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 on the very first Christmas night, slept in this. That is awesome. That is the context of Christmas, that a star-breathing God would become a baby whose cry couldn't even carry far beyond the stable in which he was born. That God and that baby are the same. That 
is awesome. That is so awesome that an army of angels burst out of uh, the sky to, to tell us how awesome it is because they had the context. They saw God in all his star-breathing glory, and then they saw the baby, and they saw the difference, and they just had to come down and tell you that is awesome. It was so awesome that a star that he breathed out actually came and settled over where he was born as if to honor the one who breathed it out. That is awesome, awesome. That is the context of Christmas. Now, that's the context. That's, that's where Christmas fits in. Uh, but that doesn't help you know what it means. So here's what it means. Uh, Matthew 1.23. Look, the virgin will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. One of the names given to Jesus is the name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. The God who breathes out gargantuan stars is with us. God came down, God drew near. God met us where we are. Instead of saying we need to go to him, which obviously is impossible, he said, I'm gonna come down and be with you. So you have three possible wrong ways of thinking about Christmas, and I wanna run you through these three, and you might be one of these three. You need to pick this out. Three wrong ways you could be thinking about Christmas. The first one is you if you get wrapped up in your problems. You ever do that? This one's you if you can't sleep at night because you're so worried about how things might turn out. This is you. If you spend days and weeks on end irritable because you can't get out of whatever you're stuck in, you're just irritated all the time. This is you if you're about ready to quit. I don't know what you're quitting, but if you're about ready, this is you. This is you if you have a base level dissatisfaction in your life. You feel like you haven't found it yet, whatever it is is. This is you. And what you do, what you do is you start with the manger. This is you. You start with the manger. You have a manger-sized God. You should have started in the stars. You should have started with Regal. You should have started with Scooty. But instead, you started in the manger. You started with the baby Jesus. And here's your thought process. And you'd never admit this, but what you're thinking is your problems are bigger than your God. You think my problems are big and my God is small. And as a Christian, you would never admit that. If I asked you point blank, do you think God's smaller than your problems? You'd never say, oh yes, I do. You would never say that, but you act that way. That's your attitude. That's why you're irritated. You have the attitude that your problems are big and your God is small. Your God is just a baby in a manger. He's just a baby in a manger. He's cute, he's nice to look at, but he's not powerful enough to do anything and he certainly isn't powerful enough to ease your anxiety or calm your fears. So if this one's you, if you get wrapped up in your problems, if, if you feel like your problems are probably bigger than your God, can I ask you something? Do you think the star-breathing God of the universe is worried about what you're worried about right now? Do you think he's up and going, man, I just breathed out an entire galaxy, but man, that relationship, what are we gonna do? I don't know. Do you really think that's where he's at? If you're about ready to give up, do you really think that the God who can just breathe out stars that are, you can fit 858 trillion earths into is up in heaven going, man, I just used a lot of energy to breathe that star. I don't know if I have enough to sustain you in this. Do you really think that? And if you're living your life under like a baseline, just dissatisfaction with everything, do you think it's possible that maybe you've been looking in all the wrong places and that this God who is infinitely big might be the source of the thing that you're looking for? 
that maybe it's a relationship with this star-breathing God that you actually want. See, we get so wrapped up in what we're going through that our vision starts to shrink. Our world starts to shrink. Our God starts to shrink. We have a manger-sized God. And listen, the manger is important, but it's not the starting place. The starting place is the stars. That's where you need to start. John Piper says this, the disproportion between us and the universe is a parable about the disproportion between us and God, and it's an understatement. God designed the universe to give you a reminder every single night about how big he is. The earth turns to show you the vastness of the universe and to remind you that God is huge. It's a daily, nightly reminder that God is huge and you are small and your problems compared to him are tiny. The God who can breathe out stars can handle your problems. So the next time you're feeling anxiety, if this one's you, if you're the I stay up at night worrying person, if you're the I'm about to give up person, take your marble out, go outside. The next time it's clear out at night, hold it up and go, oh yeah, I forgot. God is huge. And this thing I'm worried about, nothing, nothing compared to him. Now, some of you, you have the opposite problem. You, uh, you're, you don't have a manger-sized God. See, you view God the same way you view the stars we just talked about. Maybe you're like, yeah, fine, God is big. I mean, that's what God is, right? That's like the definition of God, that he's big. But just like the stars, he feels distant. It feels like his bigness doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? You don't feel the heat from the stars. You don't feel much of the light from the stars. And you kind of feel the same way about God. Yeah, he may be big, but he's so far out there that it, it, it's irrelevant to me. You feel like the psalmist did in Psalm 8. When I look at the sky, I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place. I think, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. You feel like that. You feel like God may be big, but look at the universe. His bigness matters about as much as the bigness of those stars. So you have the opposite problem. The first uh, group of people have a manger-sized God, but you have a distant star-type God, big but far. Your solution is kind of the opposite of the first group. So um, if, if the first group needs to look at the stars, you need to look at the manger. You need to look at that manger and see what God did on that first Christmas night. Because that is the whole point of Christmas. God did not stay distant. God did not stay way out there. He came near, he came down. We don't have to work our way to him. He worked our way, his way to us. God cares so much about what you're going through right now that he came down to experience it himself so he could have empathy and understand on an experiential level what you're going through. We have a God who understands. He is not distant. He is not far. He is not cold. He gets it. Are you tired? You probably are. It's Christmas. Everybody's tired. You know Jesus knows how you feel. There was this time Jesus was uh, in a boat. He fell asleep in the middle of a storm, like waves were coming over the edge of the boat, splashing him in the face, stayed asleep. That's how tired he was. His disciples had to shake him to wake him up. That's how tired Jesus was. 
He knows how you feel. He's not up in heaven going, man, what are you tired for? He's like, no, I get it. I get it. I've been there. I've been there before. I've been there. You feeling pressure from people in your life for you to be something that you know you're not supposed to be? You feeling pulled in a bunch of different directions by people? Jesus knows how you feel. Everybody had an agenda for Jesus' life. Every single person that Jesus ran into had an idea for what he should use his power, his influence for. Jesus constantly felt this pressure. He knows how you feel. He's not distant. He's not cold. He's not going, what's your problem? Why don't you get through this? He's like, man, I get it. That's hard. That's hard. You feeling that special kind of stress that comes from financial troubles? Jesus was homeless. (laughs) Jesus was homeless. He gets it. He had to rely on the generosity of others to be able to have a roof over his head most nights. You feeling lonely? Or like nobody gets you? Jesus knows how that feels, man. Nobody nobody understood what Jesus was going through. And, And you might be thinking, but yeah, but he had the disciples. But you know what? You know what it's like to feel lonely in a room full of people. You're about to experience it. Some of you, you're about to go uh, in the next couple of days to rooms full of people and you're gonna be sitting there feeling lonely and somebody's gonna ask you what's wrong and you're gonna lie because you don't wanna say I'm lonely in a room full of people because they're gonna argue with you. But you know that there's a loneliness that happens on the inside even if there's people everywhere and Jesus knows how you feel because he was going through something that nobody understood, nobody got. He's not distant. He's not going, man, what's your problem? There's people everywhere. Jesus is like, man, I get that. I get that. You feeling betrayed? Abandoned? By the people who are supposed to not do that? By friends? By people who are more than friends? You feeling that way? Like the people who are supposed to have your back stab you in it? You know what I'm saying? That feeling? Jesus knows that feeling. He knows it deeper probably than you do. He has literal scars from that feeling. So I want you to know he's not been heaven going, man, just get over it. What's your problem? He's going, no, I get it. I get it, man. I I felt that before. That hurts. We do not have a distant, cold star God. We have a God who is with us. He came down to experience the things that you experience. He is not far. He is not cold. The manger screams that you are not going to go through this alone. When you pray, Jesus is going, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know what that's like. He gets it. He gets it. He's not distant. He's close. You are not alone. I don't know what you're going through, but you are not alone. So you need to look at the manger. Now, there's a third group of people in this room. And this group maybe. uh, Maybe you think, okay, fine, God is big, and okay, fine, God is close. Well, why would he want to have anything to do with me? You get that God is big. Of course he's big. He's God. You'll even grant that he's close. Fine. He cares about the world and everything going in it. But you, you feel like, even though God is big and even though God is close, he wants nothing to do with you because you are a mess. Matter of fact, maybe even you feel like the closeness of God is something that makes you uncomfortable because you feel like the closer he gets, the more he's going to see. And you're a little bit embarrassed of what he's going to see in your heart and in your life. So actually the bigness and the closeness of God makes you uncomfortable. You'd prefer for him to back up a little bit because you've done stuff. You're past, maybe your past is spotty. You've got all kinds of stuff that you've done in your life that you would rather God not take a closer look at. 
And maybe I shouldn't talk about it like it's in the past. It'd be more comfortable if we could talk about it it's in the past. But maybe, maybe really what's happening is, is you're doing things right now that you'd rather God not take a closer look at. Maybe you have patterns, maybe you have habits, maybe you have attitudes, ways of thinking, ways of speaking that is all kinds of messed up and you really don't want God coming close because you don't want him to look at that. You get the stars, you get the manger. What you need, you need to look really closely at the cross. See, the star-breathing God did not step out of heaven just to sleep in a manger he did not step out of heaven just to understand what we go through. Jesus came to save us from the thing that causes the stuff we go through. 1 Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ died also for, the sin, for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Jesus died for us. Jesus died for you. The just for the unjust, the righteous for the unrighteous, the sinless for the sinner. Creator sacrificed himself for creation. If you are made uncomfortable by a big and close God, you need to look really close at the cross because Jesus came to die for those things that you are embarrassed for God to look at. The Bible says that he took your sin onto himself on that cross and he gave you his goodness. You don't have to be embarrassed or ashamed anymore. You can have forgiveness for all of that. And a big and close God can be a thing of comfort, not a thing that makes you uncomfortable. You can have an unashamed, open relationship with the star-breathing, manger-sleeping God of the universe. To become a Christian, if you're not that yet, <laughs> you just need to recognize your sin and that you need a savior and to ask him for forgiveness. Put your trust, your faith in what Jesus did on the cross and don't do that thing where you like know it. You, you're not a Christian yet and you're like, man, I, that, yeah, I need to do that, but not right now. Don't do that thing, don't do that. Now, pray. Right now, you can pray while I'm talking. Pray, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I can't do this on my own anymore. Pray right now. Come to him. And I know the other thing you're thinking is, well, you know, but I gotta get cleaned up first. I gotta get this stuff together. Listen, you don't have to clean up to come to God. You just have to recognize that you're dirty. Some of you have been waiting to come to church. You've been waiting even to come here because you're like, well, you know, I got to get this together. I got to stop doing this. I got to get this. And, and you don't want to come to God before you've got your stuff together. But the story of Christmas is the ironic part that you're not even aware of is that God's pursuing you. <laughs> you're waiting to come to him and he's right on your heels. He is pursuing you. You got to stop that thought process. You got to clean yourself up before you come to him. Come to God and he will clean you up. You got it backwards. He forgives you and then he works on you. Come now just like you are, no matter what you got going on, no matter what sin seems stuck to you, come to him and ask him for forgiveness and you'll have it. You need to look at the cross. So some of you need to look at the stars. Some of you need to look at the manger. Some of you need to look at the cross. Christmas, this verse. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for the man. This verse, 
about a poor kid being born in a barn is actually the star-breathing God of the universe breaking into his creation to save us from our sin and give us a relationship with him. That is why this verse contains the most important thing that ever happened. God is big, God is close, and God loves you. That is the context of Christmas. Would you pray with me?